Bless you, God. That is our confession as a people this morning. It's all about you. In a fresh way, we come before you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We surrender ourselves to you. We thank you for this day that you have made, that we live and move and have our being in you. That today is a fresh opportunity to surrender our lives and we're believing and asking this morning, God, that you would burst forth in a fresh way. Would you do something new? Would you move on our lives? We give you permission as we open your word. We ask you to come and change and transform us, Lord Jesus. We give you permission to guide and direct and comfort and reveal yourself to us in a fresh way. We love you and bless you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Good morning. My name is Greg. I am the family's pastor. It's a joy to be here this morning with you sharing God's word. And um, this series has been awesome. I've loved it. I hope you have as well. Rhythm of Revival. Rhythm of Revival. And again, it's Rhythm of Revival and not Rhythms because we're believing that there's there's this way of walking and step with God. And yes, our things we do, but there's this, this knittedness, this oneness that comes uh, of a life of abandonment to the Spirit that puts us in rhythm with Him and what He's doing. And so far throughout the series, you know, of course, we can't like, we, we can't wrestle or rest, you know, revival down. We can't make God do it. But what I've loved about this series, what we can do as a people of God is we can position ourselves to be ready to receive the thing that God wants to pour out. Because revival is in God's heart. Revelation chapters 21 and 22 talks about the new heavens and the new earth. It talks about streets paved with gold and a river running down the center of the street. And there's no sin, there's no darkness, that Jesus is the light for them. That's the last revival. It's the final revival. It's the revival to end all revivals. And we've been taught on earth as it is in heaven. That's how we're supposed to pray. And so we're believing for that, that reality to come and be our present reality in our world right now. On earth as it is in heaven, God. Let it be. And while we can't make it happen, we can posture ourselves to be the kind of people because God is desiring, it's his desire to pour himself out on the world. And he's looking for a bride. He's looking for a people who are made ready to receive what he wants to give. I want to be that people. I want to be that people. And so, so far we've been going through this series and learning how do we posture ourselves? How do we go there? How do we have humility? How do we hunger for the things of God? How do we um, walk in confession and repentance and emptying out everything that's in our lives so that we're ready to receive from God? And and those are all very kind of inner world things. And this morning, we're still going to be sort of in an inner world thing, but it's an inner world thing that's starting to turn outward. And we're going to be talking about prayer this morning. And specifically, we're going to be looking at intercession, intercessory prayer. It's that, that prayer of intervening for others. So it's still this kind of intimate place with God, but it's where the the revival and the transformation that's beginning to happen in our heart and our world begins like rivers of living water to flow out of us into the world around us through prayer. I went about five or six years ago to Brussels, Belgium, and it was 
um, right in the wake of the Syrian refugee crisis. And Antioch as a movement had set up a number of bases all throughout Europe, stretching from Greece, where a lot of these um, uh, refugees were starting to flood into Europe, all the way up into Northern Europe. Um, and one of the places that there was a base was in Brussels, Belgium. And I had the opportunity of taking a team of about eight or nine people to Brussels. And it was still somewhat on the front end of these refugees fleeing. And as they were coming into Greece, they were sort of making their way northward all throughout Europe. And as we're getting to Brussels, we're really anticipating getting to minister to refugees and we get there. Um, and the base team is like, we can't find them. It's like, like, we just brought 10 people here to minister to refugees. They're like, yeah, we don't know where they are yet. <laughs> We're like, okay, plan B, what's plan B? Um, and so they just said, hey, we want you to just begin to sow into Brussels. And this is a very European place. In fact, uh, uh, the revivals that, uh, the Great Awakening and some of those revivals that happened in places like England and France and the rest of Europe, they, they skipped over Belgium um, because there was such disunity and discord within the church that it's like a whole entire revival just skipped them over. And so they're even more post-God and, and just kind of humanistic in their ways of the world. And so we're kind of like, how's this gonna look? And can I just tell you, we began to, to reach out and God began to move in really powerful ways. Book of Acts, the gospels, people getting set free, people getting delivered, people getting saved. We were worshiping one morning as a team. We weren't even trying to minister to people. And this guy wanders in from outside with tears pouring down his face because of the presence of God. And he's like, what is this? <laughs> we're like, let us tell you. <laughs> we're like, wow, that's fun. We're not even trying. <laughs> it's just like, talk about low-hanging fruit, right? And so we get this opportunity um, toward the end of the trip. All this incredibly powerful stuff has been happening. God's been moving. And we get invited, um, kind of a rare opportunity to go and, and minister with this couple who lived just outside of the red light district in Brussels, Belgium. And it's the second largest red light district behind Amsterdam. And they had lived there, I think for six or seven years, this couple. And they lived in this third, third floor of this awesome European house that was just outside um, of this district. And their ministry was, was intercession. And then they would go in um, and, and minister. She would go in and minister to these women, mercy and kindness. And she knew all their names. And, would go see them and visit them every single day. And then he, there was a, there was a street that paralleled uh, the red light district and he would walk that street and he would meet men as they came out and he would share the gospel with them. This is a really dynamic ministry. And so we come and we get this honor to kind of come and be a part of this. And um, it's this couple probably in their late 50s, 60s. And we sit down upstairs in their little living room um, and we kind of make some introductions. She's like, okay, well, um, and now we're going to pray. We're just going to pray and intercede for a while. I'm like, okay, great, good idea. We should do that, right? And so we spend about 15, 20, 30 minutes praying. And then we're like, amen. And then we do a little more chit-chatting, and they're asking us some questions and sharing a little bit about their ministry and what the afternoon is going to look like. We've got about five hours, probably four hours scheduled for this whole thing. And, uh, and, and then after about 20 minutes of talking, they're like, okay, well, let's, let's pray again. I'm like, okay, we did that. Okay, you know. And, and so we pray, and we pray again, and then we're, we're ending up, and like, I'm looking down at my watch, and we've like just been upstairs in their house for like an hour and a half. 
And I'm like, God, we've only got like four hours. Like, and I've just got that itch, you know? I'm like, let's go. Let's go do something, right? We're, we're not doing the thing we came to do. Let's go do it. Um, and I felt, I was, I was kind of processing that with the Lord. And the Spirit of God just arrested me. And he said, you need to submit right now. And it was maybe the most strongly I think I've ever felt corrected by the Lord. And I was just like, you're right. Right? Like, the, these are the people that are laying their lives down for this. You need to trust them. You need to trust that they know what they're doing. And I was like, yes, Lord. And, and like, my spirit just changed. I'm like, I'm in the right spot. They were doing the right thing, right? And so the whole plan that whole time was for this couple to take us there. Um, so we spent probably another 15, 20 minutes the Lord, it wasn't much longer. The Lord just needed to get a hold of my heart, and then we were released to go do our thing, right? Um, and so we, we were getting ready to leave, and the husband of the couple, he stands up, and he says, um, well, um, I, have, I know we had some plans, but I have a meeting that I have to go to. Um, and so we're going to send the women um, over here into the red light district. And men, what I want you to do is I want you to walk up and down the street that parallels it in pairs. And I want you to intercede for the women for the next two hours <laughs> while, they're, while they're in there. I'm like, Lord, that's just like you. I'm like itching. I'm like, can I stop doing this thing so I can go do the thing? And the Lord's like, you're doing the thing. Like, you're already doing it. Like, this is your assignment. This is your assignment, son. And can I tell you, we, we walked up and down that street for two hours and it felt like five minutes. It did. It felt, I mean, God, I mean, we, our heart just began to pour out. And, you know, of course, and there's the urgency of just wanting to cover our friends and, and protect them. And, and it was just, it went by in, in the blink of an eye. And I think this morning, the Lord would have us just ask the question, like, what do we believe about intercession? And to drill down a little bit more on that and get a little more specific, like, do we believe it's effective? And when I say believe, I don't mean do I assent? Do I think it? Do I believe it? There's a difference there, right? There's a difference between having sort of a mental agreement with something and believing something in the depth of your soul and knowing it to be true. Because when you believe up here, you can kind of go about your life and keep doing your thing. When you believe down here, it changes the way you live. And so what do we believe? Because a, a, a people in revival pray differently. It changes the way, when God begins to work and stir in our hearts, when he begins cleaning out the junk, when he begins dealing with our stuff, it changes the way we pray. And I wanna pray that way. <laughs> um, we had my son's birthday. He just turned 10 in October. And um, we had a Nerf birthday party because that's what you do when you have a 10-year-old. You have a Nerf, Nerf birthday party. And it was awesome. We like set up, we have a pretty backyard. We set up all these obstacles out there, little fences and, and trees to hide behind. And then we just gave them a bunch of Nerf guns. We put bullets everywhere and, and they just went crazy and shot each other. And one of the things we did at the end that was like my favorite part of the whole day some of you aren't gonna understand this reference, but there was this show called American Gladiators back in the day. The greatest, uh, I don't know how many Emmys it won, a lot. And it was essentially like these really big ripped athletic people, men and women, and then they would bring in the average Joe people and they would try to compete against them and things and they would just get beat up, it was awesome. Um, and, the, and the gladiators had names like Nitro and you know things like that. Um, 
And the, 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 fin the finale, if you made it to the finale, the thing they would do, they had this giant tennis ball gun up on like a platform, like 20 feet in the air, and it shot tennis balls like 70 miles an hour. And as a kid, I'm like, I just want like an afternoon with that thing. Because there's like, doo, doo, doo. and then the, the, the contestant, the gladiator would be up there and the contestant would have to run between all these different obstacles while the gladiator's just like, goo, 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 you know, shooting at them. If they got hit, they were out. And they would run to each little obstacle or each little hiding place. And there'd be some like a bazooka and they're trying to shoot this target above the gladiator. Anyway, so you get the picture. I set this whole thing up. We have a balcony and I set the same thing up in our backyard with these Nerf guns. <laughs> And they had these balls they had to get and they were trying to throw them at this target in the front of the balcony. And then the kids were up there like, cha, 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 you know, shooting down. It was awesome. And so of course at the end, I put all the kids on the top and I'm like, I'm taking them down, right? And I get out there and I run it and I like barely fit behind the obstacles. Um, and I, you, you get to the front one and it's the one that's the most close and I get down behind and there's like eight of them up there. And so I'm behind this thing and you have to reach over to grab the ball because that's how I set it up so you could get shot. And I'm down there, it's just like, Whap, you know, like, it's like scary to like get up and it's like, boom, boom, and I get back down and I have the ball and I stand up and I'm like this. And it's just like, doo, 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 doo. <laughs> I got hit like five times. I'm like, okay, I didn't set that up very well for myself. Like, and they were like, yeah, you know, victory. <laughs> I, I think sometimes we, we feel a little bit like this as believers in the world. We feel like we have to hide in a bunker while all the bullets of culture are just like flying over our heads. And we're like, if I poke my head up here, if I try to say something, if I try to take a stand, if I try to, it's like, I'm getting, I'm getting hit here. I'm getting taken out. Like there's, there, there's too many bullets. There's too much coming my way. And as believers, we've sort of been trained to like, to live in the bunker. To, to just like, maybe if I can just sort of hold out, I'll, I'll make it. Almost like a survivalist mentality. And this morning, God's inviting us into a completely different mindset. And so we're gonna open up to Ephesians chapter six this morning. And I wanna read for us, we're gonna start just with verses um, 10 through 13, and then we're gonna get into the armor of God. This morning, we're going to talk about how Paul is inviting us into a life of bold intercession and standing in confidence in God. So let me read this, starting in verse 10. Finally, church, be strong, and actually that's be made strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. There's a few things I want us to take from these few verses. And the first one is this. There's a, there's a reality that we have to wrap our hearts and our minds and our lives around as believers. And that reality is that we are in a very real war. Whether we want to admit it, whether we accept it, whether we can see it, whether we feel it, it, it really doesn't matter. It's a very real battle that we're in. 
It's a spiritual war. And in this spiritual war, apart from Christ, in our own strength, the reality of that is we're very overmatched. We're very overmatched. Like the enemy is, I mean, look at, look at all these things. I, like, do any of you want to deal with any of these things that he talks about? Cosmic powers over this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I'm like, I, in my flesh, I don't want anything to do with any of it. I hate horror movies. I hate being scared. I hate like ugly creatures, you know, like all whatever, like do your own thing. But like, I'm just like, I don't wanna, I don't wanna deal with that, right? And, and but, but the reality is like, we're engaged in spiritual warfare. That, that's the, that's the, the world that we are, two kingdoms. There's a kingdom of darkness and there is a kingdom of heaven. And right now we live on the earth and this realm is under the authority of the prince of darkness. And of course, Jesus is sovereign over all things, but, but right now until he comes back, the enemy has authority. This, this world is his. The culture is his. The, the, the nations are, are his. They will one day belong to Christ and they do belong to him. Just like we're saved, but not yet saved, right? And same as the nations. And so it's like we live, but as believers, we've been bought with a price. We've been rescued. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And now we live as ambassadors in this world. We live as foreigners in this realm. And we long for that day when like in Revelation 20, when it comes and there is no more pain and there is no more. And the older I get, the more I long for heaven. Because it hurts, it hurts to live in this world so often. And I just long, I just long to be with Jesus. I long to be where there's no pain and no suffering and no darkness and no brokenness. And the gates of heaven are open all day, every day, because there's nothing to fear. But the reality is we're in a battle. We're in a war. And the next thing I think that Paul would really exhort us here is that because we're in a war, we have to learn to fight the right battle in the right way. So often as the church, we are wrestling and fighting the wrong fight. We're trying to win a war that God is not asking us to win. And specifically, like the picture I got was this. Now, if you can imagine culture being like this river that's flowing. Um, and, and us being believers, it's like this river is flowing. And in a lot of ways, we're like, I don't like where this river is going. Like, I, I don't like what's coming down the river. I don't like where it's turning. Like, it feels like our, our culture is turning away from God and it's turning away from that. And it's been harder to be a believer in America than maybe it ever has been before. And it's probably not getting any easier. And so you kind of look behind you and you're like, well, I think I can see where this river is going and I don't like this. This, this is not good, right? And the picture I got was like of, of, of going over to the shore and getting like a big stick and going into the middle of the river and like, trying to beat it upstream. Like, no, then that way, like, uh, and then we're like, we get our friends and we're like, come into the river, hurry, it's going the wrong way. And oh, we get all our friends and there's like 150 of us and we're all just out there in the river and we're just whacking at the river, right? And all it is is a bunch of noise and a bunch of activity and a bunch of energy and water splashing all over the place and the river keeps going exactly where it was going. What I just described can be also known as culture war. Church, 
we have to stop fighting the wrong battle. Because it doesn't change the direction of the river. When we get out there with our sticks and we make noise and we beat at where culture is going, it just rushes right around us. It makes a bunch of splashing and it makes a bunch of uh, frenzy and energy and it gets people riled up, but nothing moves. Cultural transformation has been and always will begin in the hearts of men and women. Cultural transformation has and always will begin in the hearts of men and women. And we have to understand that. And I'm all for having, you know, influence and politics and education and business and art and all these different places, these spheres that God has called us to. But we can't believe that we can climb to the top of all these mountains and by our will make people do the right thing. In fact, in so many ways, it's why we got where we are because at one point we were in charge and we did have the, the steering wheel of culture and we tried to force people what to do. And anytime you force somebody to do something, it pushes them the other way. It makes them become more set against you. And this is what happens in culture where we're trying to, to beat other people into submission. And scripture is really clear. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, church. We're not wrestling against men and women. We're fighting a spiritual war against a spiritual enemy. And that means we need a spiritual weapon. And that's the only weapon. There is only one weapon that can change the hearts of men and women. There's only one. I don't have to say what it is because we all know it's so obvious. And yet we get so caught up in it. It's so easy. I do it too. No judgment. No condemnation, but God's calling us to something better. He's calling us to something effectual. He's calling us to something that can move the river, that can redirect it, that can impact. And it has every, every revival, every revival has changed culture. Slavery was abolished because of revival in England and in America. America was birthed out of revival. Like revival works. It works, it works, but first it has to work in us. It begins with us rending our hearts and saying, God, come and move in me. Come and see my wickedness. Come and see my brokenness. Come and see my desperation and my need. And won't you have your way in me? And as we clean out our hearts, what happens is God pours his living water into us. And like Jesus says in John chapter seven, rivers of living water come flowing out of our lives. And everywhere the river goes, things come to life. That's what I want to see. I want to see you transformed, enraptured by the love and the power and the goodness of God and rivers of living water moving into your life, into your family, into your schools, into your roommates, into your brothers and your sisters, into your business places, into politics, into art, into business, into all these spheres. But it's coming from the inside out and not the outside in. Because this is how God works. All right, I spent too long here. I did the last sermon too. We can just feel really powerless in the middle of the river. Like it feels very power, and, and, it, and it's very disorienting to feel like I, I, I feel out of control and I don't like where this thing is going. And, so, and the encouragement of the Lord, and I touched on it when I first started reading in verse 10, is 
be made strong in the strength of his might. Be made strong. And this is what we need to hear, church, is, is we're being made strong. We're not asserting, we're not willing the will of God into our world. It's God's strength. We're being made strong. We're humbling ourselves and emptying ourselves and being made strong in the spirit. We're not going to spend a ton of time there today, but, but I wanted to touch on Daniel, the prophet in the Old Testament. And I want to take a quick look at his life because Daniel's life is, is so parallel to our life and our world in so many ways. In fact, because he was living in, in a, he was out of culture as a follower of God. He, he was a, a, him and the people of Israel were in bondage to the Babylonians. And the Babylonians were bad dudes and ladies. They, they, like, they, were, um, they were bloodthirsty. Um, they were idolatrous. They were greedy. Um, just, I mean, for, for context, like God compares the Satan, the, the kingdom of Satan in Revelation is, is called Babylon. Like that's how highly Babylon was thought of, right? And here is Daniel, and he's positioned as a follower of God in the midst of this really broken and wicked culture. And what does he do? Does he pick up a stick and run in the river and start, you know, telling everyone they're living the wrong way? No. Time and again, what you see in Daniel, chapter 1, prayer and fasting, intercession. Chapter 6, 21 days, prayer and fasting, intercession. Chapter, chapter 9, repenting on behalf of the people of God and interceding and asking God to come and move in his people. Chapter 11, prayer, fasting, intercession. Basically, anywhere in the book of Daniel where it's not telling you what was happening, like guys getting thrown into fires and lion's dens, and Daniel getting these, some of these crazy, wacky visions that he then interpreted and all that. It's talking about Daniel interceding. Like, this was his life. He spent it warring in the spirit where it actually matters. And here's the fruit of his life. He served under three different kings, Nebuchadnezzar, Belchazar, and Darius. All three of them experienced revival through Daniel. All three of them, because of Daniel, encountered God, got a word of God, and the, and the people of Babylon received the blessing of God. Does prayer work? Do, do we believe it? Does intercession move the needle? It does. And four times in this passage, before we even get into the armor of God, Paul is saying, stand, 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 so that you might withstand. Church, stand up. Stop cowering in the bunker and stand up and take your rightful place in the spirit and come and wage war in the right way. So yes, I mean, it says it right here, the days are evil. And I think we feel that. It's like, wow, it's not getting better. I'm looking around, I'm like, this doesn't feel better than it felt. It's like we did the COVID thing. Now we're doing the recession and inflation thing. It's like, all right. It's like spin the wheel of like terrible things, right? And, and it's like, we're, and we're outmatched in the natural, but here's the great encouragement, church. This is not new. This is not new. It might feel intense and it fight, might feel new to us, but it's not new to the people of God. And God knows what he's doing. He's got us. And so this morning, we're going to put on the armor of God. We're going to put it on piece by piece. And it's a little bit of discipleship because this is something you can and should do every single day. 
The context here is the Roman soldier who, who was fitted for battle head to toe. And Paul begins to paint this picture um, here of wearing this armor. And so let's start in verse 14 here. And let's look at what he has to say. He says it again, stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth. Okay, church. Here it is right here. The belt of truth. This is your belt. The word of God is the thing that will hold your life together. And our culture is screaming at us, there is no truth. You get, to, you get your own truth. You do your own thing. And what do you know people's lives are falling apart left and right? What do you know anxiety and depression and suicide are higher than they've ever been? The word of God holds you together. It, it, like, and and to, to use this analogy, it's like, man, if we don't base our lives on the word of God, it's like we get caught with our pants down. It's embarrassing, right? It's a failure. It doesn't work. And, and so, you know, I came in on Monday um, of this week and I was feeling, um, I, I had on, blocked on my calendar to spend time working on this message. Um, and I, I just had a long weekend and was feeling really worn down and tired. I had a call with my wife on the way into work and her car was doing weird things. And I was like very short with her. I was like, just, just do this. What are you talking about? You know, and, and I got to the parking lot and I was like, what was I doing? I like texted her and repented. And you guys never, right? <laughs> never do that. Um, <clears throat> and I'm, I'm coming inside of the office to begin working on my message. And as I'm walking by the prayer room, the Lord's like, you just need to go in the prayer room and you need to go pray. You need to go intercede. I said, okay, Lord. And I went in there and the Lord is like, I want you to, I want you to go to Ephesians chapter six. And I just want you to start praying through it. I said, okay, Lord. And I, and I just went in there and I began to pray through these verses we're talking about today. And I didn't even know, I, this wasn't, I didn't have a plan. I didn't have a passage yet. I was still waiting on God. And I began to pray through Ephesians 6 and, and my heart just began to stir and burn and come alive. And I'm crying out for our church and I'm crying out for our city and I'm crying out for myself. And I look down at my watch and it's two hours later and it's time to go on to the next thing. And I'm like, wow, God. And I'm coming out and my heart is just like alive. I'm like, I'm alive. I went from being this cranky grump that felt empty to like, I'm just alive. I'm full of the spirit. And I'm like, what are we doing today? Let's go. The word of God, it's the belt of truth. That's what changed my day. I got into God's word and I prayed God's word. And as I prayed it, it got into me. And as it got into me, it transformed me. It's that simple. It's that simple. Like when the word of God gets in us, it changes us. And so often we don't intercede and we don't bring our cares and concerns, both of our life and of the world before the Lord, because we don't feel like it. Because we're tired or anxious or depressed or feeling hopeless. It's exactly, that's exactly why you need to go. That's why you need to pray the word of God, because this is the belt. It holds you together. Because when you're feeling all of this thing, the word of God is just like, oof. And we can stand and we can, like, like Andrew Bach said at World Mandate, it's like it's the foundation of our lives. And if we'll build upon it, our house will not fall. 
So church, put this down, double check, okay? Remember that, Aaron Rodgers? Okay. Um, put on the belt of truth. That one landed better in the first service. Um, <laughs> we're putting on the, I, when I pray this, I pray, I pray the armor of God frequently um, because it, you'll see why as we go through it. it. It changes you. And I'll literally, I'll just touch, I'll pray. I'll like, Lord, belt of truth, thank you, God, that I'm, I'm, I'm fixed and I stand on your word and that your truth never fails me. And that I can go to it whatever I need. And just praying that, but just touching it. So just, if you need a touch, you need to do something like that. No one will think you're weird. Or if they do, whatever. Just go get what you need from Jesus. Um, okay, the, the next part. So it says, put on um, the belt of truth. And the rest of verse 14. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. This one might be my favorite. This one might be my favorite. I love, I love it. And this is why, because I think this might be my favorite passage in Scripture and it'll change your life if you get it, if you get it. And it's this, <clears throat> excuse me, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin, that we, the family of God, might become the righteousness of Christ. Okay, just let that sink in for a minute because when we talk about righteousness, here's what we're not saying. We're not saying you're dirty, broken people and you come to God and he puts something on over you and it hides all your dirt and your brokenness. That's not what scripture teaches. It could teach that and that would still be pretty awesome, right? And we've heard that. Like God looks at you and he sees Jesus, right? And that's true to an extent, but what scripture is saying right here is Jesus became sin. That he went to the cross, not, not, just as, not just sort of as a representative, he went as our sin. He became our sin, why? So that he might take upon himself the full wrath and fury and punishment of God for our broken depravity. So that he could then give to us his righteousness. Worst trade in the history of the universe. So scripture is teaching you're already made righteous. And this is why it's so important to pray the word of God and to know the word of God because you might feel unworthy, church. You might be feeling very unworthy, unlovable. You might be feeling dirty and broken. You might have hidden sin in your life. But if you've given your life to Jesus, what the word teaches is that you have been made righteous in Christ. It's like the best news ever. Amen. And you might not feel it, but it's just your heart's not in alignment with the truth. Come into alignment. And when your heart gets into alignment with the truth, you know what happens? You don't have to hang on to the sin and shame anymore. Well, I'm already righteous. I'm not going to drive God away. Yeah, I, I was going to do this later. First John um, chapter 1. Okay. Um, God, I was doing a little exercise in my life group the other day, and we were meditating on this passage. Um, I think we have it up there. Um, and, it, and it says this, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, so here's what we need to hear in this place of righteousness, okay? God says this, if we confess, and so, so I'm meditating on this scripture, and God just, he points out the word just. 
He's like, I, just, I want you to meditate on that word while we're here together. And it was not the word I would have picked out. Just There's more fun things in that passage, I guess, is how I would have thought of it, right? And I just began to think about it. And I'm like, okay, well, what does it mean that it's just? Well, this is what it means. It means it's the right thing. If we confess our sins, the right thing for God to do is to forgive us our sins. And I think a lot of times in my life, I come to God and I have these things and I don't want to bring them because I'm afraid of how he'll respond. I'm afraid he'll respond like me when I have somebody who's done something against me. Like he'll be angry or frustrated. Or, and what scripture teaches is, no, no, no. Like when I come before God to the throne of mercy that he's seated upon and I ask him for forgiveness... What he does is he looks at me and, and he hears me. And essentially what I'm saying is, is to him, was Jesus enough? And he looks to his right and there is his son, the Lamb of God, seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Who has paid my debt. For him to deny me forgiveness would be to deny his own son. Right? It's like, it's like, I don't, it like makes me uncomfortable to say it. That the father would ever dishonor or deny the son. That he would withhold what the son bought for me with his blood. He, can't, he literally can't do it. And Romans chapter 8 says it this way, For there is that, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? For the law of the spirit of life. It's a law. It's a law. The law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. It's a law. What, what do you do with laws? You follow them, especially if you're God. It's his law. He created it. When he speaks, it is. And so when God says, you are made righteous by the blood of Jesus, full stop. Full stop, church. Man, you see why I'm spending time on this one. This, this will change the way that you pray. It'll change the way that you see the world. We're not little paupers who are coming to God, begging him to do something in our lives. We have been cleansed, we've been made new, and we are sons and daughters of the living God. Okay, let's keep moving. Wow, Phew. I'm doing worse this time than I did last time. Lord, help us, okay. There's a readiness that comes next. It says this in verse 14. Stand therefore having fastened, oh, sorry, there, there it is, 15. As shoes for your feet, having put on, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Okay, here's what God does. He, he, he clothes our feet with the readiness of the gospel. And this is what this means. It means that because Jesus has died for our sins, because um, he has covered over because even failure in the kingdom of God is not failure because he takes our greatest failure as a species created by him, the crucifixion of his son. And now we take that instrument of failure and death and we put it on top of our building and we wear it around our neck and we put it on the walls of our homes. Why? Because he took our greatest failure and he turned it into his greatest glory. And so the gospel makes us ready for anything. There is nothing I will encounter in my life that the gospel hasn't prepared me for. Every step I step, it's covered by the blood of Jesus. 
And it makes me ready. So if there's something in you that's like, I'm not sure if I should do that. I'm not sure if I should go. I'm not sure if I'm ready. Maybe I need more study. Maybe I need, go. Go. You've got what you need. What do you need? The gospel. What do you need? The gospel. Right? And if you want to go to the nations, come talk to us. We'll help you get there. But you get what I'm saying. Okay? Um, Okay. So so he gives us he gives us the feet. So let's put on church the the the, the readiness of the gospel. And I think I forgot to put on the, the breastplate. So put on the breastplate of righteousness. And next, what we do is we take up the shield of faith. It says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith in which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. This one gets a little addendum. It gets a little extra um, onto it, right? It's take up the shield with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. This is a large Roman shield, head to toe, covers the whole body, right? It's not some little rinky-dink thing where you get shot in the knees or whatever, right? Um, and, and like, here's the thing with like, what are, what are the fiery darts of the enemy? It's accusation. It's accusation. Now, here's the deal. Um, if we were in a battle and we were up against an enemy and he was firing these shots at us and he had the aim of a stormtrooper, we wouldn't really feel the need to hide in the bunker, would we? Like, think about it, though. The reason we hide in the bunker is because the accusations are accurate. They're accurate, right? He knows us. He knows where we're broken. He knows where we're weak. He knows where we're crooked. He knows where we're lying to ourselves. He knows all those things. He knows the things that other people have said to us. And he just, one after another, he's just firing these arrows of accusation right at our heart. And if we stand up, it's like, we're like, oh, don't like that. Okay, I'm going back down here. And Jesus is saying, God is saying here, like, take up the shield of faith. What is the shield of faith? It's the cross. Because this is what he says in Isaiah 53. But he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. So here's the great deal about a shield. You might have the best aim in the world, but if I'm behind the shield, guess what? Nana, nana, boo, boo, you can't get me. That's it, right? Yeah, your accusation, it might be right spot on, but you know what? When I hold up the shield of faith, what I'm really holding up is the person of Jesus because he's taken into himself every sling and arrow, every accusation, every curse, every bit of hatred that was directed our way, and he took it into his own body, and he said, not my son or my daughter. And so we stand, we stand with faith. Why? Because Jesus has taken the slings and the arrows and the fiery darts of the enemy. So take up faith, church. It extinguishes every accusation. And then lastly, we're just gonna, we're gonna end here. And it's taking up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Oh, I skipped the helmet. Some of you guys caught that. Okay, quickly, the helmet of salvation. You know, the, the main thing I just want to say about this is there's, there's one thing that the, the Roman helmet did um, other than protect the head. Um, and, you know, it had like those, the, the, like, the like feathers and stuff on it. Not feathers, but you know what I mean. Like the horse hair and they like dyed it and all that stuff. And the reason they had that is because it identified them as a part of the Roman army and, and it spoke of their authority 
to, to the men around them that they were serving with. So you could look and you could see, oh, that's my brother in arms. Oh, and he's a commander. I need to listen to him. And God is saying, put on the helmet of salvation. This is the thing that marks you. It's the thing that says to the world, I belong to Jesus. And it's the tallest part of me. So when I stand up, there is no shame in the gospel in me, Jesus. Here I am. I love you. I'm all about you. Let the world know and let them see that I belong to you. Put on the helmet of salvation. It's your great victory and your great triumph and your great pride. And lastly, take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And sometimes we do this in the church. We're like, are, are you like, are you a spirit church or are you a word church? Yes. Yes, yes, I am that. <laughs> yes, I am that. Yes, I am a spirit church. And yes, I am a word church, right? I am both. And you can't, honestly, you can't have one without the other. You cannot have the word. It, the word is Jesus, whose spirit authored the word. So like, how can, I, how can I have the word without the spirit? Or here's another way to think about it. How, how long did I read this book and it was just dead words on a page? Until one day when I was 13 years old, something clicked. What was it that clicked? Something inside me, the spirit came and he began to illuminate the scripture to me. And I began to understand it. And me who was blind was made to see because the Spirit of God illuminated the Word of God. I can't understand this without Him. I'm deaf and blind and mute and dead. But with Him, with His Spirit, it becomes this incredibly powerful weapon with which we can literally undo strongholds, which we can go to war on behalf of our nation, on behalf of our families, on behalf of our husbands and our wives. And we can move out of this realm of trying to fight and wrestle in this way. And we can go directly to the source and we can pray the word of God and the will of God. And we can, we can believe for things that are impossible. Your heaven, let, let heaven come on earth. Let it come, Jesus, your kingdom come and your will be done. So here, here's how I'm gonna close. That story in Brussels, sweet little girl that came with us, her name was Sarah. And uh, her name was Grace, Sarah Grace, but we called her Gracie. And um, a sweet girl, and she was like a baby believer, like didn't know the difference between Ephesians and Ecclesiastes, like genu genuinely, like baby, baby believer. But she'd grown up homeless, um, couch surfing with her mom, drugs all around her, just the worst. Um, and, and so she, she goes into this red light district and, and she gets the opportunity to sit down with these women. And because of where she'd been, there was, there was this thing in her testimony that they'd never experienced from someone who loved Jesus. You, you were me, you, you understand what it's like to be me. And she began to open her mouth and she began to share the gospel with them in her own testimony. And it started off as just her and this one woman that she was sitting with. And then all of a sudden, one of her friends kind of pokes her head around it comes over and sits on the bed and another one comes over. And by the end of this meeting, there's five or six of these women. And, and the way that the, the, the woman of this couple that ministered there said, she, they, she said they were just eating out of her hand. Like every word was like life to them. Um, and God was moving powerfully. And so they pray, they have this great encounter. They bless them. Some of these women are crying, they leave. And I get an email about two or three weeks later um, from this couple and they said, um, we went back and met with that main woman that 
Grace was sharing with. And she said, it's the first time in seven years that one of these women has given their life to the Lord. <laughs> come on, Jesus. Come right, come on. Um, this is what he does. He does the impossible. And we can be a part of it. And he's inviting us into it. And so here's how we're going to respond um, this morning, church. There's, there's kind of two places. The first is we're just going to continue to open up the river up here. And we're just calling this place the river. It's the altar. If you just, if you just need to do some work with God, if you've become, um, if you've become uh, maybe weary of intercession in some way, you need to just kind of give yourself to God again in a fresh way and say, God, I'm going to come and be made strong and come alongside you in this place again. Then River's here. We'll, we'll have some leaders that are on the sides as well. If you have a specific need that, that you would like to have prayed for this morning, we'd love to do that with you. And then finally, I'm going to invite us to intercede in two different ways this morning. So if one of these two things stirs your heart, I'm going to invite you to one of these two corners of the room. And the first is, I just kind of touched on it, but if you have a family member or a close friend or somebody that you've just been believing for for a really long time, and you feel like it's just been like brick wall after brick wall after brick wall, and you're feeling weary and tired, I'm going to invite you to, to take up again that spiritual wrestle and maybe go find a friend and you guys just get together and call down heaven upon that person. And then secondly, I want to invite us to pray for our nation. And I know we have an election coming up in two days, but I'm actually, I, I don't even want you to, as much as you pray for our nation, look forward. If you want, open to Daniel chapter nine. That's the kind of prayer I want us to pray for our nation, which is, oh God, forgive us. Oh God, look upon our sin and have mercy. And here's where we need to repent. Here, here, and just begin to call out and repent on behalf of our nation and ask God to come and bring a move in America because we need it so desperately. So you guys stand up. I'm gonna pray for us and then you can kind of make your way to any of those places that you feel led as we respond. Father in heaven, we love you so much and we thank you, God, that we are clothed in the armor of God. We thank you that you've bought it for us and we don't have to earn it or win it. We thank you that you've given it freely. And as your people, God, we just, we put it on and we stand right now. And just as a people, we just say, we wanna be a people who stand, who aren't cowering down in fear, but, but who are boldly standing for Jesus in this day and age because the world is evil and it needs you, God. And so Lord, come and move in our hearts. Come and move in us as we pray for revival. Let it begin in us and let it flow out as rivers of living water, rivers of intercession this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.